everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And um, I don't know if y'all have survived Valentine's Day. It is now in the rearview mirror. And so you know that I love it. And so I'm not even going to go there. But um, hopefully you were encouraged this year. And you know what? We're now moving into the rest of February. So we can be excited about that. In the meantime, later on for our inbox, we have a guy who has single mom friends in his life, and he's wanting to know, how can I help them and befriend them without overstepping any bounds? And so one of our counselors is going to answer that question. And then for our culture segment, if you are dating, have you ever wondered how you and your significant other can do devotions together? Should you do devotions together? Well, our friend, Pastor Scott Kadersha, is back to address that very topic, and He's going to give us some great insight into that, as well as appropriate ways to just talk about spiritual things and grow spiritually as a couple. Okay, here we are for our roundtable, and we talk a lot about relationships at Boundless, but they're not only dating relationships. Today, we are going to talk about friendship. FYI, we're only going to talk to guys today, not that you ladies can't listen in, but next week, ladies, it's going to be your turn, and we're going to have a conversation around friends who inspire and friends you have fun with. Do those have to be different people? (laughs) I don't know. We'll find out, I guess, by talking to these guys today. We have got Ryan, Sterling, and Bill here. Hey, guys. Hey, howdy. Good to have you here. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get down to it in this conversation, um, see what we can learn from y'all in your own friendship journeys. And so I want to start out, would you say as you look at your pool of friends or you as a friend, do you more gravitate towards having fun with people or just getting serious, getting real, getting into stuff really fast? Well, I definitely like having fun. Okay. Um, I am a fun type of person. I develop a lot of my relationships over shared activity uh, and shared interests. Uh, And so that's what initially draws me into pretty much every relationship I have. Okay. It always has to come to a point where, uh, do they inspire me? Does this relationship have any room to grow? Mm -hmm. Uh, But the the initial attraction is always just, are we having fun? And then the long-term does get measured by, do we still have fun? That's a good distinction. Okay. Bill, how about you? Yeah, I would agree with Sterling that some of it is that initial um, kind of goof off with this guy, you know, or we we laughing. But uh, over time, it is like, hey, is this a real friend? Is this just kind of a bump into you and, hey, how's it going? Tell a joke. And, you know, there's a place for that. But I think, too, you want somebody you can hang out with long term and somebody who can tell you you're getting off the path. Um but do it in a way that speaks to you as a guy too. Yeah, I definitely lean more towards the inspire side. But if you can't have any fun, like it's not, it's usually not a very <laughs> no life. No one wants give- to be around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like if you if you can't have any fun, um, and it's not life giving. Mm-hmm. But I think I do tend to be more on the inspire uh, serious talks okay. uh, side, but I also really like to have fun. Okay. So what that kind of gets me thinking, hearing your guys' answers, what would you say, this is kind of a weird question, but what would you say is your specific to you personally, your friendship superpower? Like when you bring something to a relationship, what do you, <laughs> well, I mean, because when you're saying, Ryan, inspire, 
clearly you have something in your head of like, this is how I am a good friend. This is what I bring to the table that I feel I can enhance other guys' lives. What would you guys say is your unique gifting in friendship? Well, I, if I could jump in, I would say um, I liked what Ryan said about life giving because mm-hmm. that feels like it combines everything, that there's fun, there's, there's um, some deep talks too that's life giving. But as a superpower, I think – I think overall it's listening to someone. Mm. Um, that is a superpower. Whether it's, you know, you just need to bounce an idea off or, hey, um, you know, I know my best friend and I have had some goof off, a lot of goof off times, um, but some serious talks too. Mm-hmm. What's going on, man? What's Something's not right. Yeah. And just being able to listen to that. Hmm. Yeah. And, and thinking about it, I think mine would probably be encouraging growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that I think I can be very encouraging and I think I can uplift people. At the same time, my innate personality of wanting to grow and wanting other people to grow and wanting to see them succeed can also sometimes not be as nurturing and <laughs> life-giving. It's kind of like um, if you plant a tree in the ground, sometimes that tree just like takes off because the dirt is really running, wanting it to grow. If you stick a fence pole in the ground, the ground will rot it and will ruin it. (laughs) That explains so much. (laughs) Yes. So it's, I always want the best for the other person and I always want to see them grow and succeed and prosper. But I have noticed in my life that sometimes those relationships, very life-giving, very Mm long-term, some of the most solid things ever, uh, sometimes rather not toxic, I'd say more caustic, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of coming from one side, <laughs> okay. which would be me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Man, having a, I haven't thought about having a superpower. I, I want to maybe flesh out a little bit of the listening uh, that you said, Bill. Uh, I, I do think I'm good at listening, but uh, I, I'm not good at just sitting there you know, silently and absorbing and, and being patient necessarily. I do want to engage, but I try to work hard to not you know, jump in and just solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, like there has to be some processing on their end. Uh, and I found that like asking questions uh, is something I can be really good at when I'm dialed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's a superpower in that I am inherently doing it all the time, but I know that when I'm thinking about it, and I, I, that's a good term, dialed in, when I'm really focusing on trying to be life-giving to my friends, uh, I will ask questions that's not even – I'm not even leading them to a conclusion I've come to. I'm trying to help them get to a conclusion but also just get more information, yeah. get the processing flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that helps people feel that I'm relatable because I am asking the right questions to draw out what they actually mm-hmm. are thinking, mm-hmm. um, what they want to come to. Yeah. So Okay. I'm reminded of, I saw this on social probably years ago, and I know I posted it or reposted it. It was a meme that said, how come no one ever talks about the miracle of Jesus having 12 close friends in his 30s? (laughs) And it was... (laughs) Wow. And I just thought that was so telling and so funny. And it was like some guy in my sphere that had posted that. And so it makes me want to ask you guys, what do you think? Because so many guys will say like, oh, I wish I did friendship better. or I wish I had more friends. What do you think? is the hardest thing or, you know, pick one or two? Is it finding friends, making friends, prioritizing time for friendship, going deeper in friendship? Like, what would you say are the unique challenges for men in particular? Because I think women, you know, we'll talk about this next week, 
sometimes for women, it's like really being honest and provide because all women, you know, okay, all women, I'm just generalizing you guys, I'm just going to do it. Okay. (laughs) Because women often are like, I don't want to hurt feelings. I don't I just want her to be my friend. It's hard to be maybe real, you want to just be an encourager or whatever. But women can easily go and let's do coffee. And six hours later, they're still yakking, you know, and so the connection maybe isn't hard. But what would you say for men? What are some of the biggest pitfalls or barriers? I think it would definitely be going deeper. Um, I have seen and participated in friendships that started because, like, uh, I wear a, a similar shirt to another guy. And we're like, hey. And now we're friends. <laughs> um, and that that started the relationship. Yes. And every time we see each other, we're like, hey. It's like, hey. It's a low uh, bar, Ryan. Yeah, I'm going to go to do this uh, other thing. Yeah. You want to come with me? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Cool. Wear the shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, starting a friendship, I think is actually pretty easy for for a lot of guys because um, it, it's very easy to have that very simple mutual connection. I think the part that's rather hard is taking that very easy, simple connection and then making that into something that's deeper. Not to say that you can't have a long-term friendship with people that like, I've had so many long-term acquaintances and every time we see each other, we we're so happy to see each other. And then we leave and we don't think about each other until the next time we see each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for guys to have those first few conversations of going deeper and willing to trust this other person with something that like can be seen as a weakness, even though it's not, um, I think that is generally what I think is harder. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to pinpoint one. Um, I was in a small group for several years and... All the guys in the small group were either software engineers or Air Force, and I'm the creative guy. So it was kind of one of those, hey, you guys want to go watch a game? Sure. Um, uh, You guys want to get together? And uh, I don't know. We're weird. We're different, you know? And and so it was hard to find that common ground. Um, Yeah, I think some of it is, like Ryan said, you know, that it's easy to hit it off. Hey, this this looks like fun. And then you get in, you go, wow, this is so different from my life that I'm okay with just wearing the same shirt, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hanging out. Yeah, I think a lot of guys very easily compartmentalize friendships. Where it's like, I watch a game with X, I play Super Smash Bros. with X, I do this with this person. And that's okay. And that's all you ever do with that for 20 years. Right. I guess I, I agree. I don't think about making friends that much. Uh, I am a, a, a very strong extrovert, but it's a very closed circle extroversion where I have the friends that I have and I want to be in relationship with them all the time, but I don't go seeking out new friends like pretty much ever. Uh, so in that circle, the hardest thing is trying to, to make time to hang out yeah. with certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, with continuing relationships, it's like, well, I have a family. I have a wife and, a, and kids and a job. They all have wives and kids and jobs mainly. And so it's like we we have different lives that are leading in separate directions. It's hard to like find time to see people that I actively love and I like and I, I enjoy hanging out with. And we have yeah. common interests, but we don't have time <laughs> yeah. to to do stuff together. I see it as like, people who have kids, like if I think of my friend circle, it's like, okay, you know, managing my calendar. Okay. It's this friend's birthday. 
but this friend just lost a parent and this friend is starring in a production that I really need to go to and support them. And this friend just asked me if I want to go on this trip. And I'm like, how do I do it all? And how do I prioritize? And do you prioritize it by friend or by activity or situation? And it can get really exhausting, especially when you're trying to do meaningful things and not have it just be one-offs of like, what does that look like? I think that could be really hard. Um, Would you guys say men in general or in your experience uh, have trouble, more trouble with the fun aspect, with good, clean fun, doing that consistently, doing things that are unique and inviting others and whatever, or have a harder time with the inspiring and the going deeper? Uh, I think for my circles and and most people I've interacted with in my generation anyway, inspiring is harder. Okay. Um, the fun has a lot of challenges for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and I, I'm sure it can vary from person to person. But uh, over a long-term basis, the inspiration is harder to come by. If you've found a fun groove, mm-hmm. um, that can I, – I feel like it's more sustainable. Yeah. Um, although, of course, the if you have, like, really deep relationships and, like, inspiring relationships, those can last, like, ten times longer, exponentially longer mm-hmm. and be more meaningful. Mm-hmm. But it – it can be, like Ryan said, it can be hard to establish mm-hmm. um, to get in that groove first. Yeah, I think the inspiration portion is definitely a little bit harder. Just because, now this is me, and so no one else does this, but <laughs> uh, I'm I'm an eight on, on the Enneagram for any of those that that means anything to. And uh, I also just tend to think about life. And so like, you know, I could sit, be sitting there playing a game with somebody, doing whatever, and it's like, you know, we go out, we hang out, we hike, we do whatever. But then after a while, it's like, man, I've seen this guy get fired from a few jobs, and like, and he doesn't really know where he's going. And hey, man, do you, like, what are you, you going to do with your life? <laughs> like, you know, I just, I have to ask at some point because the fence post slash tree analogy. Yes, <laughs> because like, no matter what happens, if I like, if, if I if I like somebody, if I care for somebody, mm-hmm. then I don't just care about the activity that we share. Mm-hmm. I care about them. Yeah. And if I care about you, it's very hard for me not to think about your well-being past the hike. Yeah. Or you something. can't not say something when you know there's something, some ground to be gained right. in a relationship. And also, like, it's so much harder with Christian relationships because these darn Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit and made in the image of God have so much potential in them. Mm-hmm. And they have like so many desires and gifts and everything else and then they don't use it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I got to get that out of you because like you have something in you that God put there and okay, we got to stop just hanging out. Like you got to do something with this. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really hard when like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and someone else is filled with the Holy Spirit, that tends to communicate with each other and it's like, man, I see mm-hmm. like I see this in you that God has something great that like he's given you and mm-hmm. you're on the couch again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but how do you do that, you know, Ryan or Sterling or Bill? How do you do that without being the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden mm-hmm. like, let me be the person who's going to have you clean up your life and pursue your dreams. And and then you just kind of are like, you're the eight that no one wants to be their friend because you're just <laughs> fixing them all the time or telling them how they could be better and whatever. So that, I mean, that could be tricky. So how do yeah. you do it with, with love and care? Mm, that's a, that's a tough question. 
because some of that is earned. Um, that I, I can't just walk in on Sterling and go, dude, seriously, what is wrong with you? The Holy just Spirit told totally me, God. I would say go well, for I mean, it. I can. Yeah. We, can we, we can go grab a Coke after this or something. <laughs> you know, but, but it's kind of like there's, I don't know, to me it's kind of like you work down through, hey, we had a fun time, we hung out, we went on a hike. Uh, now you're asking me to a Chiefs game. Heck no, we're not friends. But, uh, you know, kind of, but getting down where it's like, yeah, we've we've connected on this level. And Ryan and I have talked about some things like what what direction are you going? And for me, some of it is through asking questions like, so, you know, what, what do you think God's, you know, you're like, ah, I just don't know what to do with my life. It'd be like, oh, what do you think God's saying? And it, to me, it's kind of that I'm not going to hit you. Yeah. With this, you know, it's it's going to be more of make you think. Yeah. So I think it's earning that trust and yeah. then gradually getting in. Well, and that's such a great point because you're talking about the power of asking questions too. Instead of telling, yeah. like drawing yeah. things out of people by asking appropriate questions, not just being like. I mean, there are things I'd like to tell Ryan, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit's restraining me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's good. Okay, I like it. Okay, so in the last couple minutes we have, um, I would love to hear how you guys, if at all, do anything cross-generational for friendship. Now, you could call this mentorship in either direction. You could call it like, I just like hanging with older guys or younger guys, or this guy inspires me or whatever. But do you ever break? I mean, well, Sterling probably doesn't because he just has his little group of guys and he's not going <laughs> to let anyone else in, whatever. But um, rude. No. Um, what is what does that look like to really go after someone in a different age or stage in order to learn and or inspire? Well, uh, <laughs> to refute some accusations I've heard You're going to tell me one of the guys in your group is 90. You're no. Tell, okay. Uh, no. My group is about the, the, the 20s sort of okay. age that I am. Um, but I do regularly talk to other guys and i even go out of my way to like have lunch and hang out um Good. this is not my entire answer uh but my dad is one of my best friends hmm. um and uh, he's in his uh late 60s now uh mid late 60s uh and so he has so much generational knowledge uh within him and there's an added benefit of i can gain wisdom from how he acts and thinks knowing that i I'm his son, and so I get to, like, glean some of that for free as, like, an, an extra mm -hmm. bonus. Uh, but the rest of the people, um, there's people at church uh, that are older that I see regularly and I talk to um, on a, a sliding scale of very old or just, you know, a couple years older than me, 10 years, 15. Um, I had a mentor at work um, uh, last year uh, that was uh, a great friends to me. Uh, and we've continued our relationship um, past the mandated mentor <laughs> date. Mm -hmm. uh, and I I really like him. He's an awesome guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've gotten a lot of um, value from being in a relationship with him. Yeah, that's good. Uh, okay, I'm giving you a gold star. That's perfect. good. Good answer. Bill or Ryan? Well, as a guy in my early 50s, I like making friends with younger guys so mm -hmm. they can pick up my cane when I drop it, you know? Um, <laughs> that's just practical. No. I mean, that's good. No, it's kind of fun. I'm, I, you know, they're all, working at Focus, there's a lot of different age groups, and, and uh, it's been fun getting to know younger guys because it is, there's, you learn something from everybody, and there's, there's always some fun to be had or some shenanigans or something, but it's, it's kind of like different people spark you in different ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
you know, some people you turn to for wisdom, some people you turn to for just help me get out of this rut that I'm in. So I, you know, I really encourage that cross-generationally to, Mm -hmm. you know, just to grow uh, as an individual. That's great. Uh, personally, I love making friends with some more experienced people. Mm-hmm. Um, I like learning and I like having a relationship where someone feels like they're able to speak into my life and give me some wisdom. And usually it's not with, um, with an ax to grind or anything else like that. I am getting to the age where I think I need to start making a more concentrated effort on talking to some younger guys and kind of taking them on as either younger friends or maybe even younger brothers need to be hit every now and again. Mm -hmm. Um, But my life and and where I am now, if there is any goodness to it, a lot of that has come from great godly mentors that are Mm -hmm. 40 years my senior. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they, they, you know, to be fair, some of them rather reluctantly um, because some of them are busy or, or, you know, rich or whatever. And so you just kind of keep pestering them and then they finally give you a piece of advice and then you're like, okay, I'll go do it. And then you Mm -hmm. go and do it and you come back and tell them that. And they're like, now they're intrigued that Mm -hmm. like someone actually did something they said. So it's like, okay, I guess I'll keep talking to this young guy. And now it's eight years later and I'm having dinner at your house. That's great. That's a good point. Well, it's funny because it reminds me of something. um, I actually think I've heard my pastor's wife say this, but I'll say it in the guy context. You're always an older man and you're always a younger man. So if you look yeah. on either side of you, there's someone there. Yeah. And so a lot, you know, who are younger mm-hmm. think, oh, I just need older mentors and I need, and I'm like, ah, uh, look behind you because there's probably a high <laughs> right. schooler or a college yeah. student or whatever who could benefit from you too. And so that's a good, uh, a good word. In fact, I'm thinking in my own life, a, a girl that I know who's in my small group where I am very mentory, I host the small group, I'm kind of in, a, it's a discipling kind of thing. But she is killing it in the realm of reaching out to her neighbors. And I'm learning so much from her. She's in pickleball. She has open porch night where her neighbors just come and sit on her porch. She's just amazing. She's very inspiring to me. So, you guys, thank you so much. What great ideas. Well, thank you, Lisa. This is help. Friends, I have got a friend of Boundless back here on the show. His name is Scott Kadersha. In fact, I was just listening to another friend's podcast the other day, my dear friend Julie Slattery, and it's like, wow, okay, Scott works at a church, but like, is he just (laughs) talking to everyone else out there? So this is super awesome. Um, We've had him on the show before. If you think back to 
the spring of 2019, y'all. That is when uh, he was on our show previously. And so it's such a privilege to have him back. He is the marriage and family pastor at Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. And if you know our friend Jonathan Pecluda, uh, they are great friends. They're now uh, co-workers. Well, again, I guess. Um, he's also the author of the book that we're going to talk about today. Um, well, it's a couple of books, actually. Today, we're going to talk about the Ready or Not Prayer Guide and talk about the value of and the place of prayer in a dating and marriage relationship. And so, Scott, welcome back to The Boundless Show. Thank you. So good to be back with you. And you just mentioned a couple of great people. Love Julie Slattery and all she's doing. And, <laughs> yep. and of course, JP, my friend and boss, we got hired the same time oh. many years ago, Watermark, and it's really fun. When he moved to Waco, I was like, why would anyone move to Waco? And then about a year and a half later, yeah. we ended up moving here. That's really great to do ministry with him again. Yeah, well, that is, that's super fun. And it's always great to just kind of keep an ear to what you guys have going on. And I know you have such a heart there in the church and beyond for young adults in particular. And so that's our privilege to partner with you in so many different ways. Um, so this is great because, you know, I mean, marriage and family, not only because Boundless is a ministry of focus on the family, but because so many in our audience maybe want to be married or are on that path to marriage. And uh, I often say here at Boundless that maybe some didn't have the best examples. So they're a little bit like, uh, what do I actually do? Where do I go from mm-hmm. here? And so it's so great when we can have mentory people like you in the fold uh, to kind of help, you know, navigate that space and shed some light a few steps ahead of us um, as we walk that road. And so I want to start out because you you really um, paint the picture in this book. And you actually, you started out with Ready or Not, when we talked about this last time you were on the show, those 12 conversations that every couple has to right. have before they get married. Well, now you're really focusing on prayer. And I want to start out by asking, because you actually share a statistic about staggeringly low divorce rates for couples who pray together. I don't know of many people, like in my church circles or in my friends who are just constantly talking about praying together. So I think somehow we have a, <laughs> a disconnect here um, with what right. maybe what we're seeing practically. So talk about, tell about the difference that it makes and why couples, well, let's talk first married couples in particular, why they should make it a priority. Yeah, that's so, you, you nailed it, Lisa. I mean, it's, um, it is kind of staggering that you see these statistics that the, the divorce rate for couples who pray together is ridiculously low. Yet whenever I talk to a couple and just even ask that question, hey, are you guys praying together? Well, sometimes we do before meals, very inconsistently. And then even in my own marriage, and you know, I've been a marriage pastor for 18 years now, and <laughs> I've been, uh, I tell people all the time and encourage them the, the benefits of praying together and all that God does and the intimacy it builds, but yet I'm being hypocritical in my own marriage uh, of going through fits and starts of praying together. And, you know, we go in a season, we start strong, and then we fall in the back in old patterns. And so I was convicted really by a couple things, by the, you know, a little bit of hypocrisy in, in our own lives, in our own marriage, and, uh, and not, not to make light of it, but it was, a, it was a real problem that I'm encouraging other people to do it. I'm not, and I never pretended to have a great prayer life, it would always be like, hey, don't do as I do, you know, do as I say kind of a thing. And finally going, I don't just don't want to live that way anymore. I want to be consistent, not just in what I encourage other people to do, but actually doing it in our, in our own lives. Yeah. And, I, and I watched so many young married couples start this from the beginning. 
and just have a, a almost like I wish we can go back and do that of pray together consistently from from the start. And so I'm thankful that we've made the changes in our, in our own marriage, and I've seen the fruit of it. And now, just want to encourage couples to to, to pray together because of an, the amazing gift it is, and for whatever God does, I don't know how He does it, but He does something incredible in the couples who consistently seek Him and pray together. Yeah, I remember a uh, woman years and years ago. I mean, I was maybe but a child hearing her on the Focus on the Family broadcast back when I wished my parents weren't listening to the Focus on the Family broadcast. And um, she was talking about praying for her own marriage that was in crisis and how she basically had developed a hatred towards her husband and decided God just impressed upon her that rather than talk to him, rather than tell him what he should be doing, rather than get angry or file for divorce or whatever, just start praying. And anyway, her whole testimony was the power of her starting to pray solo and then bringing him into it as he started asking questions, and they really were able to restore their marriage as a result of her wow. beginning, you know, in faithfulness to God to be obedient to that. So what a what a wow. neat, yeah, neat testimony. Um, yes. Okay, well, now what about the person when we're talking about praying as couples? Do you have to be a stellar individual prayer? Because what about? <laughs> or is this like people that are going to be like, oh, good. Well, if I pray with someone, maybe they can do the lion's share of the lifting and I can just kind of coast <laughs> along. So what does it look like to kind of like have, should you have a really vibrant solo prayer life before praying as a couple? Or can you kind of like stagger along and learn together? Yeah, that's such a great question. So you know, we've got to start somewhere. And so I, I really believe there's so many couples out there. Maybe there's one spouse who wants to pray and the other one just feels so uncomfortable with it. And I think there's something really genuine uh, of even confessing to God or confessing to your spouse and saying, I'm just not comfortable doing this. And so in, in that case, I believe God will honor it if, if, you know, husband and wife get together and, and if the one who's comfortable just takes the lead and prays and the other one just sits there with them and holds their hands or keeps their eyes closed or they're just together seeking the Lord, there's something incredibly powerful even in that. In fact, I think that's a better thing to do than, than faking it or pretending. And so just being honest about it. And, and and I would say, you know, I know there are many out there where the spouse isn't even willing to do that, that one spouse wants to pray and the other one doesn't. And so if that's the case, I just say you pray, you know, consistently that God would continue to change your heart, that he would change your spouse's heart. And, and really what, what I did in this book, I, I'm not writing a hundred prayers about marriage. The Bible candidly doesn't say a ton about marriage, but there's a whole lot in the Bible about becoming more like Jesus. And so the prayers are essentially saying, God, would you help me to become more like your son, Jesus? Would you help my spouse become more like Jesus? Would you help our marriage be marked by these Christ-like attributes? And so there are things like humility and forgiveness and, and listen and uh, being a community-centered person, being resilient. And so just praying all these prayers that, God, you would do that in my life, that you would do that in my spouse's life. And so whether they're a willing participant or not, you lead the way and you pray those things for yourself, for your spouse, and for your marriage. And then we just want to be faithful and we trust that God is going to do what He's going to do with our prayers of a faithful and righteous person. Yeah. So I would love for you to kind of tell on yourself a little bit about how incorporating this in your own marriage has changed your marriage as well as your prayer life. I mean, can you give us an example of really where 
you went after this and you did see some some noticeable change in your relationship or in your in how you were walking out the Christian life? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say two things on that. One is that I know my wife has wanted me to lead her well in this area for a long time. And so uh, so one is just honoring her desire that I would lead her in that. And, and you know, I'm not asking for, for an award for doing that. I think I'm just doing what God would want me to do as a faithful husband who loves his wife as, as Christ loves his the church. And so there's one, there's just a level of, I know that, uh, that it encourages my wife that I'm leading her well. And then second is I, like when we are actually seeking the Lord together and, and whether I pray, she prays, we both pray. I am more in touch with what's going on in, in her heart. I know more of what she's concerned about for her kids or what she's concerned about in her own life, about things that are kind of burdening her, whether it's with work or friendships. And so it's absolutely growing our intimacy with each other because we know each other more and we're on the same page through, through everything in life. And you know, we, we've just said, we're going to pray about everything, whether it's about sex, about kids, about money, about work, about friendships. And so even in consistently seeking the Lord together, I know much more about what's going on in her heart. And then same with me. And I, the way I, one thing that's helpful is in our marriage, I'm the more emotional one, the one who expresses himself more. Kristen's much more stable and steady. I'm dramatic all over the place, and she's stable. But by seeking the Lord together and by praying, I know much more about what's going on inside of her and what gets her amped up more than I would by just regular conversation. Yeah. Well, that's so good. And you bring up such a great point. And with that, I want to back up the timeline a little bit, because actually, uh, the book that we're talking about, and we're going to offer it today for those who who want it, is 100 Prayers for Dating and Engaged Couples. So now mm-hmm. I want to back it up and figure out, okay, how do we take this into the dating season as well as the engaged season? Because you talked about prayer building intimacy, and I know that's a huge um critique of couples who aren't married praying together. Now, I could see guys out there, they just landed on what you said about praying about sex, and they're like, sign me up, yo. I'm all for that. Like, let's do it. You know, let's do a laying on of hands. And so talk to us a little bit about um, what what are some appropriate boundaries for a couple? Like, how should this look different for a dating couple than a married couple? Yeah, such a good question. And in fact, I know I've told couples many times over the years that you shouldn't pray together before you get married. And uh, because it builds this false intimacy, it crosses boundaries spiritually, it crosses emotional boundaries. And I would say I've really changed what I believe on that hmm. with some caveats. Yeah. And so, yes, we do want to guard each other's hearts. We don't want to awaken love before it so desires. But the problem I saw is that couples would go through the dating period. They wouldn't pray together because me or somebody else told them not to. And they get married, and they realize they, they're married to a stranger. This person they've married doesn't know how to pray. They don't want to pray. They've kind of hidden behind the, the barrier of don't pray. And so they get into marriage, and they're really with somebody who's a stranger. And so I think there's a, there's a real benefit of praying together before you get married, because you really learn what's going on in the other person's heart. You learn how they're wired, what they're struggling with, what they're made of. And so that being said, I think it's it's wise to have some boundaries in how you do that. Like, I don't think you sit up on the couch together, cuddled up, lights down low, candle in the background, romantic music playing. Like, that's not how you pray together before you get married. That's going to lead you to do other things. 
you don't pray in a way that manipulates. Like you don't pretend that you're more mature than you really are. You uh, you don't pray. You don't pray at the other person. I pray that God would fix them or do something in them. And so I think there are some wise boundaries to put in place. But if you're you know you're out on a date together, you're driving somewhere, you're on the phone with each other, it's okay to to pray uh, with the right motive, the right posture that you really do want to seek the Lord together. You want His wisdom. And just even having the humble posture, like I love James 1.5, that if any of us lacks wisdom, we can ask God who gives us that wisdom generously. Like, it, this is an amazing season, if you're dating or engaged, to seek the Lord together and say, God, would you give us wisdom on the best next steps to take, take in our relationship? You know, would would you help us see if we need to break up or hit the pause button or, you know, slow down or keep moving forward. And so asking God together for wisdom is a really wise thing, no pun intended, to do uh, with the right boundaries and the right posture and motives in place. Yeah. And I actually want to I want to break a couple of those down, what you describe in the book as kind of the, the green, yellow, and red lights related mm-hmm. to that. One thing I want to bring up beforehand, though, is, is again, kind of um, treading that intimacy line. I mean, obviously, a part of prayer is confessing sin to one another. And, and even in the sense of it doesn't have to be confessing all your sin, but just straight up like, I need to confess a sin against you and and seek forgiveness and whatnot. Um, so how do how does a couple, especially again, that dating or engaged couple, how can they do that and be honest and authentic and confessional without becoming accountability partners or therapists for one another? Because I see how that could get into some murky waters as well. Yeah, I think I think you might have a future in, in podcasting, Lisa. You asked, <laughs> you asked the best questions. You really do. Well, you. Uh, you really do. Yeah, I think there's there's probably some wisdom in um, in having some same gender accountability for confession, and, and which would really apply in marriage as well. Like, I'm not going to confess to Kristen every time. I have a lustful thought. She's not going to confess to to me every time she has a lustful thought. That's just probably not going to be helpful because of the insecurities it can build. And so it helps for us to have some same gender accountability who can ask us hard questions and pray for us and ask us how we're doing. Kind of the rule we've, we've made in our marriage is that if it a lustful thought continues, if it's repeated, if it leads to sin, then I'm going to tell Kristen. But she really trusts that I've got some other guys in my life who are asking me the hard questions who I can confess to. And so, uh, so the same kind of pattern, I think, applies before marriage is after. You just want to be really careful about what you're confessing to your spouse. We are one flesh. We do. You know, there really shouldn't be secrets, but there is some wisdom in having some other people around you who can ask those really hard questions. And so it it almost feels like I'm contradicting myself. It's a tough balance to strike. Uh, and we've had to have some hard conversations over the years of, you know, what is what does Christian want me to share with her? What does she want me to share with others? And I think that applies well on the pre-married side as well. You don't want to pretend you're squeaky clean. You do want to let your significant other know you do have some sin struggles, but hopefully you have some people around you who are going to ask you the hard questions and pray for you and hold you accountable and encourage you when you do well. Uh, It's such an important thing just to have some, like Chris, I don't want Tristan to be, uh, you know, to have to be the police in my life for everything. She trusts that I've got some really great people who are going to ask me the hard things and carry my burdens with me. It's like, it's like Galatians 6, you know, 6-1, 6, 
that we've got others who can bear our burdens and so that our spouse doesn't have to do that alone and we don't have to do that on our own. Yeah, that's so good. I alluded to the fact that, well, and you did too, in in talking about how really one thing this book does is help discern for yourself and for a potential partner kind of possibly some red flags or maybe just where a person is, even in their willingness to engage in prayer and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, you even say, you know, you talk about a couple of those hallmarks. We talked about the the concern for building intimacy and maintaining um, a pure mind and heart in the midst of this. You also talk about um, the, the posture of being teachable and humble yeah. in this and what that looks like. And I always say that's always in my short list. And by short, I mean, like, I think mm. I have four things on my list of what to look for in a future spouse. And someone who is humble and teachable is is on it because I, yeah. I feel like every character issue that could come into play comes under that umbrella. <laughs> for yeah. that, you know, so I think so that's good. I think that's so good. But let's talk about this because I, I want you to walk through one of your red light scenarios um, where you talk about this discernment and and what's necessary. I mean, this you could start praying with someone and realize all of a sudden you've got a spotlight on an inability to communicate together or to solve conflict. Yeah. I always say, like we are just a dumpster fire in the Western world, <laughs> certainly on appropriately addressing conflict and asking forgiveness and forgive. And so I'm like, well, here's, I guess here's our primer right here. We're just going to all do it together through Scott's book. But talk, talk a little bit about your example of that and how this would play out by, by praying. I mean, I love how your, your green light aspect of that is your own story of your relationship, how you had to have a significant breakup with Kristen on the front end. So give us, paint that picture a little bit of how, how that would be helpful for you. Sure. Well, I mean, real quickly, take a, taking a step back to so green light, yellow light, red light. Very obvious. When you're driving a car and it's a green light, you keep going. When it's yellow, you slow down. When it's red, you stop. When you're in a relationship with someone before you get married, you're looking to evaluate in this season, you know, am I, are we a green light, yellow light, or a red light? And if you're a green light and everyone's excited about your relationship, you feel at peace about it. Both of you do. It's a green light. You keep moving forward. If it's a red light and you end up breaking up and everyone around you tells you that they're concerned, that you know deep down your concerns, and you end up breaking up, that is an amazing gift. I know it's hard in the process, but you are sparing yourself, your significant other, from a you know potentially a lifetime of misery. And if it's yellow... You slow down, right? You don't you don't hit the gas. You, you say, okay, we need to figure out a few things before we decide if we're moving forward or hit stop. And so, on this specifically on communication conflict, every everyone, every couple is going to struggle at times with communication and conflict. Like you know, I've been a marriage pastor for eighteen years, married for twenty two years. I have an amazing wife, but we will still struggle. And so. It's not like you're looking for perfection here. That that would be impossible, this side of heaven. But what we are looking for is, can you communicate? Can you resolve and manage conflict? Do you have what it takes to work through some hard issues? Because if you don't, I'm terrified for what that looks like for a couple moving forward. Because if you think, before you get married, if you think you've got to communicate a little bit, wait until you get married, and it's one decision after another. It's constant. Uh, the constant need to have some hard conversations, to have conversations about things you don't want to talk about, to 
to disagree. I mean, candidly, marriage is, is one sinner married to another sinner in a broken world. Paul Tripp says that. And I'm like, that's it. And, and the other thing he says is we do have a redemptive God, which is absolutely true. But marriage is going to be difficult and and it's amazing. It's a gift too. But, uh, but we've got to learn how to work through tough conversations. And if you realize on the pre-married side that we just can't resolve any issues, we're not improving, we're probably going to struggle for the rest of our lives in marriage. And so if you know that going in, Great, but but just don't don't think that conflict is going to go away once you get married. You've got to learn how to pray and work through it before you get married, uh, because you'll have plenty of opportunities in the other side of marriage as well. Okay, that's good because I was hoping you were going to tell me, um, Lisa, just start dating a guy and say, "Let's pray together," so I can find out if you're good enough for me. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what I was going to do. I mean, honestly, uh, well, let's. <laughs> but I do love on your list that teachable and humble. Well, <laughs> that is so important. That's a that's a good one to have in the top four for that, sure. Exactly. Well, that's yeah. why I had to put it on there so I could review it for myself. Often, you know, yeah. like where do I uh, where do I sit in this space? So, all right. Yeah. Well. We'll before we finish, tell us a little bit about the 100-Day Prayer Challenge, what it is, um, how obviously the book, you guys, I want to remind you, the book is um, 100 Prayers for Dating and Engaged Couples. So we want to make sure that you you know about this. But tell us what the challenge actually means in this, Scott. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's so hard to, to begin a new habit for something that you uh, install as something that's part of your life. You, uh, one of my classics is like, I, I've struggled with weight and overeating my whole life. And I go through seasons where I crush it. Like I do great for a couple weeks, a couple months, and then fall back into old patterns. And so I end up just kind of up and down like a yo-yo and, and have trouble installing these habits as regulars in my life. But there's something about when we do something consistently, if we were to do it for 100 days, it doesn't guarantee we're going to do it every day for the rest of our lives. But if you do something for 100 days, there's a really good chance that doesn't just become a, a, a check-the-box you know, thing you have to do. It really becomes a part of your life. And so what, what if, as couples, if we pray together for 100 days, I, I really believe we, we will see the benefit in it, the joy in it, the intimacy it builds, and so that it doesn't just become another thing we have to do. It becomes something we really long to do. We realize the significance and importance of it. And so even right now, Chris and I are doing the 100-Day Challenge. We're, we're recording on January 23rd. That's okay for me to share the, the recording day. That means for, you know, for 23 days, we consistently pray together every day for 23 days. And, and I love the, the challenge that we are we are building this habit into our marriage, and, and it becomes something like we're not going to go to bed at night before we take some time to pray together, that we're really trying to make this something that's central and core to our marriage. And I don't want that just to be 100 days. I want that for the next—we're not going to have 100 years together. We're too old. But however many, however many years God gives us on this planet, we want that to be a central part of our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others is just seeking the Lord together through prayer. Yeah, such a great example. Well, folks, you might be listening and you're saying, well, hey, I didn't start in January. Well, you know what? Your 100-day challenge can start now. And so I want to make you aware of this book because we're offering it this week here at Boundless. So if you go to boundless.org, you can search for 837 this week's episode. Again, the book is Ready or Not, 
K-N-O-T. 100 Prayers for Dating and Engaged Couples, and it's a prayer guide. And we're going to make this book available to you as our gift to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So you just hop over there, click on the book cover. You give a gift to Boundless. So many of you already do for the work that we're doing for being part of our fam. And uh, we're going to send a copy of Scott's book as our thank you to you so you can make that happen. And Scott, thank you so much for not only talking this through with us, but walking it out as an example. We sure appreciate it. My joy. Thank you for having me. Appreciate all that you guys are doing. Folks, here we are with our inbox. We have got one of our fantastic counselors, Patrick Hill, on the line with us to answer this week's question. Patrick, welcome. Hey, greetings, Lisa. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thanks for lending your expertise on this. We have a listener. I'll jump right in here. We have a listener who's wondering, there are many girls I know who are young single moms, some of whom happen to be my friends. As a guy, how can I be helpful to them while not overstepping my bounds as a friend? Love the question. Love this young man's heart. Being being a single parent, one of the toughest jobs on the planet. So if we have opportunity to come alongside and help, that's a big deal. So first off, we want to ask the question, is help needed? The the person may suggest that they need help with this or that, and then we, we can follow up with that question. Well, is this something I can help you with? First, let's get that out of the way and ask that question directly. And then we want to consider boundaries. So boundaries really start with us. First, check in with God. What am I hearing from God about how I can serve in this way? Do I have a specific set of gifts to help someone in need? I mean, can I fix cars, do lawn care, paint, clean, whatever that may be? Figure out first what it is I'm kind of good at and can help with. And then also the same side of the coin, think about those things that I'm not so good at. What are those areas outside of our scope? For me, if I've got a friend who calls me and says, hey, can you come and help me rewire my house? I'm probably going to say no, because that's not something I'm good with. I can change a light bulb, but when it comes to actual wires, no, that's no bueno for me. So I may try to refer them to someone else or just say no. So know your limits. Maybe consider talking with your pastor or your church to see if they have anything available to help a mom in need if it's something that's a little bit outside our scope or perhaps we're just not comfortable doing. And now we want to make a plan. 
once we figure out, yeah, this is something I believe God's calling me to, I know how I want to help, the help is asked for, what kind of help am I willing to offer? Am I willing to say, I'll redo your whole backyard for you, or I'll paint your whole house for you, or do I have just a limited scope of what I'm able to offer? And then what times am I going to be available to help? Do I have two hours on a Friday? Am I going to make myself available 24-7 for phone calls? Really want to solidify what that boundary is going to look like for ourselves. And then am I going to be working solo or as part of a team? Am I going to have a partner with me? when I go do a specific job, whatever that may be. And, and now the reason I bring this up, when whenever a young man is, is serving a young woman, and I'm, I'm talking like this as a, as a former pastor and youth pastor, when I've worked with girls and women, I've always wanted to make sure I had someone else with me in the room, someone who knew where I was, just so I was not giving cause for anyone to question my character or the person I'm helping. So that's just something to consider as, as you're making a plan, setting boundaries, putting those in place. Consider having uh, perhaps a ministry partner that can walk alongside you, maybe someone from the church or a friend, a trusted friend. So to kind of encapsulate all of these things, again, good boundaries really start with us. Uh, we want to ask if help is needed. Listen to what God is saying to us. Always check in with Him. Know what kind of help we can offer and when we can offer it. And then finally, live and serve above reproach. Keeping all these things in mind could have a, a great ministry opportunity to friends in need, and, and that's a good thing. Yeah, that's really great advice, Patrick. Thanks for weighing in on that and obviously sharing from your own experience and even the way you've counseled others and served in the past as a, as a pastor and youth pastor. Uh, really good insights there. So thanks again. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's it for this week's show. One thing I want to remind you of, those of you who are show listeners and clearly love audio, uh, have you been reminded that we have Boundless, the audio book, where we are putting some of our written content uh, on audio and specifically on YouTube so that you can access it audibly while you're driving or running or however you like to ingest content. And so uh, you can find that over at YouTube. If you search for boundless.org, that's our channel. And you'll see uh, that we have a number of articles already up there. And so we would love for you to like and subscribe and even comment as you maybe give an article a chance. And it's just a great way of getting more content from Boundless and different well-rounded content on different subjects from us um, in that format that you love. And so give it a try. I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. It can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way God sees it. So what's the solution? Well, on June 15th, Focus on the Family is hosting Sea Life 24. And no matter where you are or who you are, you can be a part of this free event with speakers like Ben and Kirsten Watson and real stories about choosing life. Sea Life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action. Register today at sealife24.org.